Welcome to the Balanced Man Podcast with your host, Ernie Harrison. We have five pillars in our lives that need balance. Spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, and financial. Join us as we interview pros in these areas to help us gain wisdom, pass that wisdom on, and leave a legacy for future generations. Man podcast. I'm your host, uh, Ernie Harrison, and today I am speaking with CJ Ortiz. All right, from Texas, so now in North Kakalaki. Actually, born in New York and moved oh, to Texas that's right. when I was a little guy and spent most of my, I consider myself a Texan for the most part, and then back to North Carolina. And you, I found you online through Facebook, the Metal Motivator, yeah. where I first found you. And so you did some motivational encouragement, preaching. You preach yeah. the word as well, man. I hear you preach that. Also, part of the uh, Keep the Blaze Alive coaching squad with Pat McNamara. Yes. Um, and co-host of the University of Badassery podcast. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I wish I could give you the same type openings that you do for Mac, but I don't have the talent or skill with words there, brother. But, man, it's so <laughs> yeah. good to have you on. Thank you for taking your time out and talking with me. It's great. I know we've been threatening to do this for a while, and it was great to be able to watch you get all this started and just how quickly it's kind of moved. It's been helpful to have the squad, and I don't, you know, as we talk in school, when I say the squad, ladies and gentlemen, referring to what he just said, that Pat Mack, keep the blaze alive coaching squad. And because within those circles, and there's several hundred people in that squad, but it's a great way if you're launching something to get it out there because you got a pretty sizable, friendly audience that is going to listen, not just for interest sake, but to support you. And plus some good guests, I'm sure, for future shows. You've already had, I think, Doc Collins on, so he's a squad guy. I tell you what, man, and Mac and I talk about this a lot. I, I, we just can't believe all you guys that are a part of this, you know, your backgrounds, whether professional backgrounds, military backgrounds and whatnot, just the quality of people that are there. And so we're glad to Brother, have this front row seat to the Balanced Man podcast <laughs> off the ground. So thank you. You are a huge encouragement in that. Just talking to you and bouncing things, ideas off of you. And because I've had this idea, I think you may have heard in 10 years now. Yeah. And it was similar to what you're doing. I have a, still a, a great friend of mine named Nick, and he was a Delta operator. Uh, we met in basic training and uh, were roommates for a while. And anyway, I got out. He stayed in. I think he did 14 years and got out. And anyway, we talked about this Balanced Man podcast where it wasn't really a podcast. We were trying to do like a meet and greet like you guys do, like a four-day long thing where you focus on you know mental health one day, uh, your spiritual life one day, your physical fitness one day, different things. You know? Yeah, man, that's good. Yeah, and, and we talked about it, but it just never came to pass and then it's next fault <laughs> yeah yeah we'll see we'll see i don't know how that's gonna work out but you never know like you say you know you never know what god has in store and what the future holds and you just yeah. keep moving forward and he opens those doors so i think it's a great idea though yeah not everybody can be a part of the squad or whatever you know it's that's what's why we always encourage all you guys to man launch your business you guys connect with one another and do business with one another and start things and do things and i don't know if you got connected with the guy I mentioned to you the other day but I did. Yeah, okay good but you got guys like yourself who are like ready to do something to help their brothers and sisters in the squad about on spiritual topics or what have you and we just can't make everything official from yeah. from the class yeah so we just say y'all just do it you know what I mean? This is a free republic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Y'all yeah. just do it. Y'all be self-governing agents, you know, and have at it. I, we hope that things spawn off and other groups and things get started. And because it's all about saving what the darkness is trying to do to this world, brother. Yeah. And that 
that speaks a lot for you guys. I mean, you're, y'all are both, you and Mac, are both very humble. And you're not, I don't really don't think you guys are seeking fame or fortune out of this. I know that there's some monetary benefit out of it, but it's still, you're still giving just as much to us as we're giving you guys, if yeah. not more. You yeah. know, we were seeking things out of it. This has been like, I was telling somebody when I was in the Bible college, and I read this article, just somebody had written, just talking about a hammer had a personality. And, you know, somebody took the hammer and, and stirred Something with it, you know, and the hammer was like, eh, whatever. And then somebody took it and like broke apart a chair and the hammer was like, yeah. But anyway, somebody took it when they hit a nail with the hammer and the hammer was like, man, that's what I was made for. That's kind of how I feel with this podcast. I don't say I'm not the greatest fan of means in this type thing, right. but I love talking to people one-on-one yeah. and gleaning information and wisdom from them and then sharing it with everybody on this platform all over the world. This podcast has been heard by at least one person all countries all over the place. Isn't that amazing? So, yeah. And if it's, if I can do something that'll help somebody be motivated, like you've done with me, that's, man, that's a great blessing in that. It really is. And we had a, you were thinking in the last Zoom call we did together on the Strike and Ignite, and we were talking about the, after you get the goals down for the important areas of life, like your health and your relationships, family and finances and job and career. After you get that kind of stuff nailed down, so you're going to the gym, you're eating right, you're treating your wife right, you're raising your kids, you're doing good at your job, or you're starting a business. Once you got those goals, some people just say, okay, that's enough. And you know what? You're not breaking any laws if that's all you do. You are not breaking a law if that's all you do. You will live a good life. But there's more inside of you. There's more you can do. And like in your case, it's like, yeah, you're doing your job. You're taking care of your family. You're doing the right things in all the big areas. But now you're saying, but I still have something else I want to do. You know, I want to reach other men. I want to reach other people. And I want to talk to people. I want to minister. I want to do these other things. That's beyond. That's not your kids. That's not your wife necessarily. That's not your job or career. And it's not your health and fitness. It's beyond that. It's saying, no, what is Ernie capable of 10 times more? Yeah. So let's maximize in this new area. And you don't know where it's going to head. So it's just like, you're saying, you know what? I just feel a compulsion to go in this cone of direction and yeah. I'm going to follow. And as opportunities come, I'm going to seize them. I don't know. I don't have a clear cut course. I know I want to connect with people and I know I want to help people. And man, there's no telling where that lands. No yeah, telling. Yeah, because we all need it. At some point in life, you know, I've always, I consider you guys kind of like mentors to me because I've looked for that for the longest time and I couldn't find it. I mean, I had it in high school and in college and some partly in the military, but after that, I just couldn't find it again until I started listening to you, you know, and just, it helped me. It's like therapy, you know, sometimes you go to therapy and therapy's like, well, how does that make you feel? You got to speak things out sometimes to hear your own thoughts yeah. and to get them together. And some of the things you were saying, I was connecting with a lot of it, you know, just about yeah. being a man, protecting your family and going out and working hard, serving your yeah. community, you know, being the best citizen, the best father, husband that you can be. And yeah. so we connected really a lot on in that aspect. And I think men need to hear that, especially young yeah. men in general, but men need to hear that. You know, I had a, I felt a weird, just the last 24 hours. And it's hard to talk about these things because you can feel like you're talking about yourself and I don't ever want to sound like that, but there's a part, I've been doing this sort of stuff online for so many years, Ernie, to so many people on so many platforms that I can talk about what's happening or what's developing. And honestly, when I talk about the feedback or the analytics or the data that I get, even though it's involving me, I'm still looking at it scientifically. I'm still looking at, okay, why is this happening? Or what does this signify? What does this mean? Is this a new season coming into play? That sort of thing. And just within the last, just today, I had two comments from two completely different people, but they were both similar 
in this regard. They both said in my circles, I'm the motivator. They say, yeah. you know what I mean? I'm the one who's doing it. I'm the one that everybody's leaning on. I'm the teacher. I'm the one holding the seminars. They said, but ever since I connected with you, CJ, I'm taking notes now. It's been very, I didn't realize where I had some holes. I didn't realize where maybe my flanks were shored up as they needed to be, where the loose ends were still loose and I yeah. needed to do this. And it's funny because I kind of get my wires crossed sometimes, brother, when, you know, metal motivator. So a lot of the people I'm reaching, it's a, a smorgasbord of personalities and beliefs and profiles and countries yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, but it's easy for everybody to kind of say, well, he's reaching these heavy metal people. So they're just a bunch of people living in their mom's basement, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? You just kind of be derogatory to all of them. Sure. And of course, that's not true. But in another sense, the majority of people I'm talking to aren't all business professionals are worried about peak performance. You know what I mean? A lot of them are just really trying to manage life, brother. <laughs> life is really beating them down. So to switch from that, for example, to go into the squad and be talking to people that are a little more concerned about performance, about doing a better job at things, it's a different crowd. You know what I mean? They're not living paycheck to paycheck. It's a different kind of mentality. Yeah. Well, now this was even different when you're kind of motivating motivators, in a way, you know what I mean? You're yeah. where you're mentoring some mentors. And it's strange because I hate scrutiny. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So the last thing I want to do is put under my bio sheet, I'm a mentor of mentors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You said if people look at you that way, well, then that's fine. But you certainly don't ever want to see yourself that way. What you want to do is you, I just want to be faithful to the message. Yeah. Did I represent the message? Because what can often happen, you're going to see this happen a lot as you keep going, but Max sees this a ton. People get the message and the messenger confused. Uh, yeah. And so be because the message has touched them so much, they exalt the messenger. Sure. And if there's anything I've done for the 13 years, I've done just metal motivation on social media. I've really tried to discourage that. I'll tell people, I said, love the principles, because if there's anything I've ever told you or taught you that has made a difference in your life, there is no way I own that. I might have articulated it uniquely, yeah, but there's no way I own it. And I will not go back to my first grade teacher and exalt her because she taught me two plus two equals four. Sure. She's just a mouthpiece for the message. She's a messenger. I love the message. I love the math, yeah. not the math teacher. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, but people, they just, they want to let you know how much the message meant to them. And so they have a tendency to elevate you or exalt you and most people who, especially people who don't have a faith background, yeah. you know what I mean? They don't have a bunch of teaching on humility to counter that. So unless they have that desire, that wisdom to know to be, to try and humble themselves, then they're going to believe their own headlines and they're going to start saying they are a coach and a mentor's mentor and all the rest of it. And I want to try to avoid that as much as possible because I really, really want people to just say, no, I love the two plus two. I love the way he teaches two plus two equals four. Yeah, I just love that. And, I, and it's made a difference. I tell them, I said, listen, all it means to be a metal motivator is what heavy metal did for me is what I'm doing for other people. Yeah. Period. So what was it about heavy metal? You know, I mean, I, you know, of course, I grew up ACDC and Metallica and, you know, that kind of stuff, too. 
And but I was an angry kid, man. I just had a lot going on. It just I was ticked off at the world, man. So it kind of helped me get some frustration out when I was hitting the gym. Talk about the uh, metal mindset too. So what is it about the metal that it's a it's more of a positive mindset in metal music? Yeah, think? it is a very positive mindset because, like you said, when you were young, more angry, more frustrated, and whatnot. Yeah. And there's scientific studies now that have been done in the last 10 or 15 years, which talk about how it is a healthy form of channeling rage, aggression, and these sorts of things. It's because, you know, a song can pick you up. Not, I don't know too many people that train hard in the gym that are taking smooth jazz with them. I can't do it, man. I can't do it. <laughs> you know, there's something about a hip hop or hard rock or heavy metal that just helps get the blood pumping and that sort of thing. But then metal, heavy metal tends to be more uncompromising, tends to be more black and white. Like you think of lyrics like um, a classic metal motivation song would be You Got Another Thing Coming by Judas yeah. Priest. Right now, people look at that song now and they just they just consider that hard rock. They wouldn't even call it heavy metal. Yeah. These days, they play that on the classic rock station on Sirius XM, Ernie. <laughs> I'm kind of offended by that. Classic yeah. rock is Led Zeppelin, brother. That ain't <laughs> that ain't Judas Priest. But they write songs that are very, very motivating. And so in, like in that song, it says, you know, if out there's a fortune waiting to be had, if you think I'll let it go, you're mad. You got another thing coming is head tough. There's no room for second best. So it's lyrics that are very positive. Then you take brand, bands like Hatebreed, newer bands who are kind of more hardcore type metal bands. And you could read the lyric sheets of every single album that Hatebreed has put out. And it's basically a self-help book, basically a self-help book. Mind Overall, yeah. Never Be Your Own Defeatist, songs like that, To the Threshold, Destroy Everything. There's a song that's they play called Destroy Everything, Destroy Everything, Obliterate What Makes You Weak. So it's it's just a it's just motivation type stuff that's put to this heavy kind of music. Again, you got those other bands out there that are just they're singing about weird stuff or they're singing about crazy demonic stuff. But yeah. that metal mindset is just a very it's just a to me, I think that's often what's missing. Ernie, and be honest with you, when I when guys reach out to me and say that they're like motivators in their neck of the woods, I guarantee you, if I go hang out with them, they're listening to weak music. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's a hardening, if you will, of the mindset that comes with that kind of heavy metal approach, because if all your music is, hey, I understand. Hey, let's get back together. Hey, it's OK. I love you just like you are. If that's yeah. all the kind of lyrics you're constantly fed with instead of get up, kick your own ass and let's go get the day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Carpe diem, baby. If that's not the kind of mentality you got or the kind of mentality that's coming, being fed to you through your music, that may explain why there's some there's still some soft spots there that the enemy can infiltrate through. So but, you know, not it's obviously not mandatory, <laughs> but sure. I, I think yeah. it's very, very helpful. That's a problem. Talk about the church. I think that's one of the problems with the church is it's been feminized so much. And there's just this, yeah. this soft music. And not to say it has to be heavy metal by any means. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, just don't think it appeals to me a lot of times. You know, I think men need to be that motivation. They need that draw. You need something else that's going to get them 
pumped up and everything's just flowers and sending candles. It's just not. I could spell potpourri till I started going to church. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And fake plants too. Fake yeah. plants in a church that's opened up in a business park. Yeah. Where 100% of the membership is taken from other local churches in the area. Yeah. It's not new converts that are starting these churches. These are all church. These are sheep swapping going on. Yeah. And we've done that too. But the, a lot of times the church, you get too much old blood and it coagulates, man. And you have to move on because people don't want to, they don't want, like you're talking about, they, they don't want to keep bettering themselves. They don't want to keep bringing in new congregants. You know, they get to get yeah. this country club mentality and it's, and and that's not what it's about. I, no, no, no. That's where I think they're missing the larger purpose of what the kingdom is supposed to be. And um, because let's face it, their eschatology matters. Yeah. If your eschatology is like the old J. Vernon McGee, you remember J. Vernon McGee? Yep. He used to say, talking about perpetually being in the last days, that, um, well, there's no sense in polishing brass on a sinking ship. Yeah. Yeah. So outside of plucking people drowning in the ocean, there's really nothing else to do with this old world. We're going to we're going to take our ball, leave it, go play somewhere else and call that victory. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. <laughs> it's the enemy and it's his cohorts that are on borrowed time. The meek yeah. shall inherit the earth, man. Hey, I love the old the proverb that says the righteous shall never be removed, but the wicked shall be rooted out of the earth. Yeah. So yeah. If, if you don't feel like there's a larger purpose for family. And the other thing is that a lot of these and I know that, you know, we're talking about balance, man, we're getting into the church thing. But I had a feeling this would happen when you and I got together, <laughs> me and Ernie are Bible guys. So, you know, this stuff is important, we feel. And I sincerely believe that uh, a lot of Protestantism has got a Catholic hangover in the sense that it's very church centered, not in a healthy yeah. way. Yeah. So it's all about building that particular physical location, that building and all of the staff and volunteers required to work all of those men's and women's and children's departments and head up this, you know, men's Bible study, women's meetings and all of this stuff and youth pastors and all of these very church centered, you know, very yeah. church centered. And they say, you know, 85 plus percent of all giving goes to pay for facilities and staff. Yep. So there's not a lot left to do the other things. So it's really more about building and, and sustaining that particular institution. Now, that should sound familiar to some folks because that's exactly how the federal government works. Yeah. It's it everything it does, it does to justify its own existence. And so every tax dollar that it takes or dollar that it prints from the Federal Reserve is to pay for all of its departments, its bureaucracy. So what's funny to me is that guys who have the biggest churches and tend to be the most outspoken conservatives run their churches like liberals. It's yeah. big church and big bureaucracy. And how do you pay for that? Lots of taxes, or should I say lots of offerings? Yeah. You got to pay for the edifice. Go yeah, I didn't think about I didn't think about it until we left. We spent a year trying to the church that I went to before to talk to different parts of the congregation about the, the vision forward. And uh, they couldn't really agree on those visions and couldn't agree on the biblical stance on things. So anyway, we decided to, to leave. And but what we ended up doing was going to the movie theater. And yeah. instead of having a building that you waste six right. out of seven days, we go into the theater where people can't they can't complain about the chairs. They can't complain about the color of the paint <laughs> or the walls. That's good. And, and then, and then I found out how much money we were given to maintain the old building. It was $80,000 a year just to maintain the building. Wow. 
you know, you can, people come in and give and you have an abundance to be able to go out and serve your community with yeah. feeding the law enforcement guys or the nurses during the yeah. pandemic and that kind of thing. And just trying to show people love instead of showing love to a building that's not doing anything for you. Oh yeah. I always tell people the same thing. I love what you just said. I used to tell people, I said, yeah, the first thing I would do with the revenue not being wasted on all of these other things is to make sure every single child in that congregation was receiving a private or home education. Every one of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? The relationship with Caesar and his system would be over, <laughs> over. That's a good idea. I th- thought about that. And I, I mentioned something to the pastor about if we could do the church itself, could do Dave Ramsey. And you just start yeah. off with somebody in the perfect, congregation, perfect. pay off the debt. Pay off then debts, they yeah. then they just keep, then they take the debt and they were paying off a the church until we can get everyone debt free. Yeah. How exactly. great would that be? That would be incredible because what you would be doing is, you would less emphasis on, oh, look what's happening in Washington, D.C. Oh, look what, you know, this radical organization and do is doing and this liberal college campus is doing and look what they're spouting on TV. And you would stop with all that and you'd get back to the building yeah. like Nehemiah. Right. Remember when the sand ballot and all them came down and was laughing at him and they said, what do these feeble Jews think they're doing? And so they sent messengers up there and and to bother Nehemiah. Nehemiah says, why should I leave building this city of God to come down and talk to these naysayers? So we're too busy building to be worried about what anybody else is doing. And that to me is, granted, I'm this metal motivator guy. So, you know, I'm not I don't have any official capacity to speak to these things myself. I've just thought about them over the years. And so everybody has an opinion and this one's mine. But the thing about all of that is that what you're saying is we could do more by empowering families. Yeah. I mean, really empowering families. When you think about like in Corinthians where he talks about the head coverings and some of these strange doctrines that people are like, what are we, are we supposed to be still wearing that sort of stuff? You know, what does that all mean? And one of the things I know that it speaks to me in relation to today is probably what it spoke to back then as well. The head covering was having a sign of authority on your head. In the case of that woman, it was her husband. So her husband doesn't need that head covering because she doesn't have to wear it at home. So she's wearing it in church. Now it Mm -hmm. says, talks about order and the angels beholding, you know, this order. But I think the, the most visible sign that head covering is too, is obviously everybody else in that church, but especially those elders. In other words, don't you think just because that family walked through the door that you're in charge of everybody? Yeah. You know what I mean? No, there's still a federal headship that's going on here. That family is in submission to that husband and they walk in as a family. God called Israel out to himself for their feast by families. Yeah. Not as individuals to be divided up into men's group, kids group, teenage group. (laughs) You know what I mean? I still haven't found youth pastor in Ephesians 4. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? I was always the youth pastor. You know, and I I love, I I know guys are very, very good friends who who did a great job with youth ministry. And and we call them youth pastors. You know what I mean? I didn't let, I didn't let my disagreement with certain things hinder my friendship. And the benefit of, because I think it's great for the youth of a community or fellowship to get together and hang out and do things together and whatnot. To have church separately? No. You know what I mean? I wanted my kids to learn how to sit in church. 
And just like my dog is, you know, oh, y'all forget, forgive me. My dog jumps on people. Oh, hell no. You're going to be able to come and sit in my house and my children are going to yeah. be able to sit. And now they're all grown now, but that was the goal. It was not, we're not making excuses for these things. These are not glorified babysitters. I'm not going to turn my kids over to cartoons or children's pastor or what have you. They're going to learn discipline for yeah. it's a limited time. You're not going to be there all day and you're not going to die. You want to color something? By all means. We'll bring some little goldfish you can eat? By all means. We'll keep you entertained. I, I, when I came up here, I put my dogs in kennels to come up here and do this podcast with you. But yeah. I also gave them two, two enduring chewables, bones <laughs> to work on, right? Because yeah. they're working, man. They're working while I'm doing, while daddy's doing what he's doing. And when I'm done, I'm going to let them out. We're going to play and we're going to live and we're going to have our life together. It's let me see. Well, let me find a word here, Ernie. It's balance. I like balance, that word, brother. Great word. <laughs> you want freedom, yeah. but you also got to know discipline. You got to know order. She knows well as I do. That's few and far between. Uh-huh. You may they may discipline mine. You know, I yeah. can't mess with someone else's, or they don't allow that anymore. You know, so it's like. Yeah. Yeah. They become a distraction to a certain extent. So it's kind of like, you know, if I want to yeah, listen you're right. to the I, pastor. Somebody had asked, you know, whether we've been talking about kind of the homeschool thing and yeah. not lately in the squad. And somebody had written about what are some of the benefits and things to, to, to not sending your kids to public school? Because you often hear parents would be concerned about socialization. And I'm like, no, one of the benefits of homeschooling is not socializing. So the same thing is like, I don't take my dogs to dog parks. I want them to think that the greatest time in the world is playing with dad. Greatest time in the world is playing with my kids who are adults, but they live with me and they play with the dogs and the dogs play with our, my two dogs play with each other. They don't have to go out there and learn all the bad habits. And it's like a child left to itself. will what? Bring oh, yeah. its mother yeah. to shame. You, you leave it. a dog to itself for too long. You leave a dog out in the yard. My dog's good. He's out in the yard. He barks at people, but he's good. No, he isn't. He's learned to live on his own and he's going to embarrass you time in and time out. And keep your neighbors up at night. They just haven't told you yet. Yeah. Same thing with kids. And I'm not going to put them out there to learn all of the bad habits. What could they possibly It's like people saying, if you don't go to church every day, Sunday. Well, then you're, you're missing all this fellowship. Well, which that 20 minutes in the vestibule, is that what you're talking about? That <laughs> fellowship? That's not fellowship, man. Fellowship is something different. And what they get from socialization will come at the expense of peer pressure, will come at the expense of sexualization, will come at the expense of bullying, will come at the expense of profanity and perversion and witchcraft and paganism and Darwinism and socialism and a whole host of other isms, which I don't want my children imbibing because I don't think Caesar or his high priests know what they're doing, nor do I believe that they're appointed to that task. According to what I've read, Paul said, teachers are in the body and that the greatest socialization your kids could ever have is the one they have with you, mom and dad, and their siblings and their neighbors and their community, because public schools have only been around for just over a hundred years. So stop acting like we're violating some 6,000 year institution. Send my daughter to a, uh, to a Christian private school for one semester. We were just trying it out. And now she had 17 kids in the class, 12 of them were female. And she come home with this little snappy attitude. And just, I was like, of course you're Christian kids, but just like, you can't, their parents were different. You know, they yeah. probably just, but children like on their own are going to be different. They all were their parents a lot of times. Right. So I just, uh, I didn't like it. I said, I'm not going to have you going to school eight hours a day, five days a week. You had to come home and correct your behavior. 
And uh, I know people think that it's, I don't know, that it's tyrannical or whatever that you're trying to, you're trying to keep your kids out of the world. Your kids, they get mad because I tell my kids to go to bed at 630. What? Why are they going to bed? Because yeah. I want them to get 10, 12 hours of sleep every night. Right. And then they sleep from 630 till 530 or 6 o'clock. They, so they sleep 11 and a half, 12 hours. And they're smart. And they're happy. They wake up singing. They don't, they're not groggy. Won't get out of bed. I ain't got to go in there and wake them up. I mean, yeah. uh, they're in there singing, doing their own thing, you know, until I yeah. get up. And, Isn't that but, you know, Yeah. And I love it. You know, and they're happy and they, people think you're going to regret that one day and make them go to bed so early. I said, look, I don't make them go to bed. They're tired. They wear themselves out during the day and they're ready exactly. to go to bed. Because they slept so well in the night before, they got 10 times more energy and they're going to they're going to wear themselves out. And kids do yeah. sleep that long, man. And they need they, it. They need that sleep. Even if they're laying in there for a while, going to sleep, doesn't matter. Let them if their life is good, their little imaginations are going to be good. Yep. And they're going to entertain themselves and until they nod off. And it's yep. peace. They don't need what the world gives you. They just, what is pure religion? To keep oneself unspotted from the world, right? To love the widows and the orphans and keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now, that's almost maybe impossible to do in some senses. But when it comes to the big things, <laughs> it is easy to do. Hard only because you don't want to deprive your children because they see yes, everybody yeah. else getting something and they feel like they're getting jipped out of something. I remember when my oldest was in Christian school for high school and it's a big Christian school, really, really nice place, man. Way better than the high school. They yeah. had everything in this place. You know, I mean, there's still going to be people wanting to date girlfriends and boyfriends and that kind of thing. Oh yeah. And so that wasn't happening in my house, you know, <laughs> it just wasn't going to happen. And so I had this conversation with him and his mama because and it it got you know emotional for them not me yeah yeah <laughs> but they were and because she was oh why not and it's innocent and and what have you and i said okay listen leave and cleave and that what genesis teaches us leave and cleave for this mm-hmm. reason a man shall leave father and mother and cleave to his wife it wasn't any middle ground there you leave and you cleave right you leave one covenant mother and father to join a new covenant, right? Wife. So it's the issue is relationships are, are defined in God's world. So you're moving from covenant to covenant, and that's for safety and blessing and keep the curse off of your back. You know what I mean? Yeah. The destroyer who hits at noonday, the pestilence that's rocking the land, you know, the, the covenant keeps you safe. And the there's no purpose to a to that girlfriend. I said to my son, I said, are y'all going to move in together? And he said, no, we're in 10th grade, dad. I said, yeah, exactly. I said, are you going to share bank accounts? No. All right. Your mother and I live together and we share bank accounts. You guys got to procreate? No. All right. Then what is this? What do you call this? Explain to me this girlfriend. Give me the Greek definition. Give me the Greek word for girlfriend because I don't see it. You know what I mean? There's no purpose here. I said, to me, it's going to interfere. It's going to interfere with your studies. It's going to interfere with your conduct. You know what I mean? It's going to draw you in because you're going to have a hard time holding back those hormones. It's it's not going to produce anything positive for you. Every reason that you're going to give me is going to come from peer pressure or hormones. That's just Mm -hmm. about it. So it's not a covenant relationship. And you have to keep in mind, son, that I'm paying a pretty penny for you to be at that school. And I'm not going to finance your transgressions. I'm not going to undermine your sin. I'm not going to undermine 
and pay for your failure. <laughs> it's just, no, this is when you leave the house and you want to go live like the devil, then go live like the devil. But when it's here in this house, but it's not just the issue of saying them no. It's like, no, because son, we're preparing for kingdom rule, kingdom reign. You know what I mean? It's our trailer park aristocracy we're building here. It's multiple generations. So what kind of man do you want to be? Do you want to be above? Do you want to be a part of the governing class? Because there's, there's always going to be a governing class. It's just that right now it's the governing class of the wicked. Yeah. But until we get to preparing a different generation who have a different concept of the family, different concept of money, different concept of education, different concept of truth, different concept of everything, then how are we going to be the city set on a hill where our works are so observable, so readily seen that men would glorify your father who is in heaven? Because right now, can't nobody see any works. Oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe there's a ministry feeding some homeless people somewhere, but that ain't it. What they yeah. want to see is when there's racial strife, there's none in your camp. When there's pestilence everywhere, no one here is getting it. When marriages are, are 50 percent or above failing over here, it's 85 percent success. You know what I mean? When, when people are having one point three children over here, you're having five and six over here. You know, when when over here they're broke and, and can't rub two pennies together, you've stored capital and you've bought property and you and when everybody else can't find a job, you're doing you know who does this? Indians. You go like to Cherokee, I mean, to like some of the, I don't know, just the Comanches and, and some of the Oklahoma tribes. They've got their own everything. They got their own hospitals. They got their own police force. They got their own job stuff. They got their own insurance companies. They're so significant that the government literally has a Bureau of Indian Affairs so that the elders can go up and talk to them. What if they had a Bureau of Church Affairs? What if we were so organized and so well-funded and so well taken care of with our own hospitals? Or, see, the Catholics do this to some degree. You know, they got St. Mary's this and St. Elizabeth that and St. Joseph's aspirin for children. <laughs> 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 They're using things to, you know, and they, they, they want you to put their kids in Catholic schools. And they also, I mean, you, you find me somebody bigger against abortion than Catholics. On paper, they are. Catholics uh, also, they, they forbid even contraception. They have the most strict divorce rules. I mean, they are, they're like, you're supposed to just have kids and keep having them and, and send them to Catholic school to go be good Catholics and build Catholic everything. It's kind of that concept. You know, the Indians are doing it to some degree, the Catholics are doing it to some degree. And I just think it's, that's more of a, of a kingdom kind of mindset to say it's bigger than just the four walls of any local congregation or a building. And so we're all your preoccupied with is building that internal bureaucracy and raising up volunteers and tithe and offerings to pay for it all. Yeah. And you start to build places to challenge single and pregnant teenagers. And yes, of course, the poor. Yes, of course, the struggling and the homeless and all that sort of thing, but also getting people ready for employment and making sure that uh, single you know, mothers have, have got uncle figures and father figures around that can help them change tires and teach their boys basic yeah. dude stuff and, and all of that, right? <laughs> Was it you didn't hear something or do something seven times to, to memorize it or mm -hmm. however it goes, so we'll make sure we beat the into your yeah. school. Now, it's just, you know, I went to school and thought I wanted to be a preacher. And, um, you know, I want to preach gospel to people. I want people to go to good news, but I just don't like the idea of being on a pedestal being in the pulpit, yeah. you know, standing above everybody and looking yeah. down and them looking up to me like I'm somebody that's better than yeah. they are, that's expecting yeah. more out of me on Sunday yeah. than on Monday. Yeah. Uh, the one-on-one -on -one is how I've done it in all these years is just meet somebody and we get to know each other and 
I don't bring those type things up, but most times people around me long enough, you know, going to know that I'm a Christian oh, yeah. and I just befriend people. And then we have conversations about things. I don't condemn anybody for what they believe. You said, I'm what I believe. And then what gives me hope. And a lot of times people will, hey, what are you reading? Or can we do a Bible study together? And so it's up to them. It's their choice, right? It's not, you know, we plant seeds, yeah. but we don't, we don't water it. We don't make it grow. Yeah. That's kind of what I, what I was referring to earlier about the mentor thing where I don't want the scrutiny. You know what I mean? I don't want to, I don't want to be in that position of feeling like darn. Now I feel like I'm living in a fishbowl, you know, cause I obviously don't, I don't talk like this on metal motivation every now and again, I'll cite a proverb here and there, but of course I'm not going to do that to my audience. They're, that's not what they signed up for, man. Sure. And you know, and some people will have a problem with that. Both sides. You got, the church side, it says, if he believes as a Christian does, well, then what in the world is he doing messing around with all these heavy metal people? And the heavy metal people are like, darn, if he believes this Christian stuff, then I don't want any part of him. You just, you're damned if you do, and you're, you're damned if you don't. So for me, for the longest time, Ernie, it was kind of a struggle in the sense that what am I doing out here? You know what I mean? Because it's like, okay, well, are you polishing brass on a sinking ship? Why bother helping people who will, may never darken the door of a church or something like never crack open a Bible or something yeah. like that? Why bother? And it kind of hit me one day. And there's a phrase used by a lot of systematic theologians called common grace, you know, common grace. And the verse for a common grace would be, you know, it rains on the just and the unjust. So God is, his grace is common on everybody. You know, it's not just the believing farmer who gets rain on his farm. The unbelieving farmer gets rain on his farm because it rains on the just and the unjust. Mm -hmm. It's not just some believer who gets access to technology. Technology and all of the innovation and creativity and innovation is accessible to anybody, even if they're the most God-hating soul you've ever met. They can still invent things that change the world. Steve Jobs was not a church-going man. Bill Gates, not a church-going man. Steve Wozniak, not a church-going man. Yet, I'm currently using two or three of their devices <laughs> in order to do this podcast right now. And because it rains on the just and the unjust. But then there's a special grace, like what you might do with guys one-on-one. -on -one. That's special grace. You're sharing it plain black and white. You know what I mean? Chapter and yeah. verse, because you're, you want to give special grace so that there can be special revelation so that somebody can be, whether if they don't know God, whatever, they're awakened to it. Or if yeah. they do and they're just struggling, they're awakened to the principle that's going to help them out of their situation. That's special grace. And not everybody gets that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So to me, if like you look back at like a Zig Ziglar, right, one of the most famous motivational speakers of all times. Right. Before Tony Robbins, ladies and gentlemen, there was Zig Ziglar. <laughs> All right. Thinking between Norman Vincent Peale and Tony Robbins, and that's Zig Ziglar. And Zig was a faithful church going man, faithful Baptist man, taught Sunday school almost every week of his life. Didn't shy away from mentioning his faith and that sort of thing. But for the most part, he was teaching salespeople. He was teaching just a motivational goal setting and 
getting your mind right and getting things done. That's common grace outreach. And that's how I see what I do. It's common yeah. grace. It's like the rain. I'm out here to just help people, man. It could be somebody who's brother. I've had people, transgenders with upside down crosses <laughs> who you know have gotten a lot out. And I've never condemned them. I've never, it's not the place for me to do that. If they want to contact me and they want to have a question about something, what do I believe about something? Then we can talk about that. You know what I mean? But for the most part, people aren't at, people don't consult some guy online who calls himself the metal motivator for those kind of deep questions. You know, nobody's contacting me to figure out how to get over manic depression or post-traumatic stress disorder. I'm not a therapist. I'm not Doc Collins. You know what I mean? <laughs> Doc Collins is a professional. Doc Collins is, he has a PhD. That's what he's trained for. It's, he has the passion and the mind and the gifting and the experience. He's worked with so many clients, all kinds of different people. That's not me. I'm just trying to tell you to meddle up. Don't yeah. suck. Take it up a notch. <laughs> Take it off. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of like a cross between a drill sergeant and Mr. Rogers somewhere in there. You know, I'm, I'm patient. In other words, I'm patient and I understand that you may not be where you want to be right now. And I can't necessarily talk to everybody the same way. Some people just need a slap in the head, man. Metaphorically speaking, other people, yeah. they need a, hell, a hand to, to get up. But I can't treat everybody that way. You know what I mean? I can't be I can't treat everybody super nice because I don't want to enable somebody who needs correction. And I don't want to rebuke somebody who needs encouragement. You know, so that's the skill is just learning that, hey, it's all kinds of different people. And I see that there's a huge community out here, especially in heavy metal and, and hard rock. They may never go to church. And if so, which one are you going to send them to? <laughs> You know what I mean? Because yeah. I can line up an expert from just about every one of the 35,000 plus denominations that currently exist on this planet and counting, ladies and gentlemen, who am I going to point them to? And I know everybody thinks they're right. I know everybody thinks they got it figured out. Some yeah. sprinkle, some dunk, and some will split a church over those yeah. things. When y'all get it together and you're all one, one body, one mind, one faith, one everything, give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know. <laughs> I'll drop what I'm doing and then I'll be back. But it's, I think the mission is to help people. And I've met some beautiful, wonderful people, man, who may not go to church on Sundays, man, and they don't care to. And um, some of them been hurt, you know, some of them been deceived, some of them, whatever, it doesn't matter. All I know is I want to be the rain on their parched land, you know, and in my opinion, God sends that rain, in my opinion. And people want to disagree with me and run away from me because of it. Hey, man, I'm 56 years old, cat. <laughs> I, I got through all 56 years of my life without your opinion of me. And I think I can make it the rest of the way <laughs> with the way that you think. I can say that's what I needed. I just needed, I think I was on the edge. I just needed a little push to help me get over whatever that was that was hindering my, my mental blockage there. I think part of what I like doing here is that people hear other people's stories and go, you know what, man, Pat McNamara had a bad time, five years of a hardship in life. You know, he was able to have an epiphany, whether that was, he says he's a self-made dude or felt God telling him, like he said in there, you know, he doesn't right. know, you know, I believe that it was probably God telling him, Hey, you know, I got a plan for your life. Let's yeah. move forward. You know, and yeah. he put those people in his life to get him to have that 
spark and people go if pat mac has a bad day or has a bad time you know i'm having a bad time but we don't know what tomorrow holds you plant those seeds man like you say we don't water you know we plant them we don't water them or make them grow you don't know what god's gonna do with and that's why i like people to hear these things and go hey you know and that's i just needed to hear that i need to hear somebody else had a bad day and they they overcame it and maybe god gets the glory for that maybe you don't i don't know but that's not my place to worry about it i just care for that the individual as a christian what i'm called to do jesus didn't come and pick out certain people he came for certain people and they denied him so he said okay let's open everybody so the demon possessed man do you think he was a catholic or uh you know (laughs) i mean the demon possessed man come up and jesus healed him um some guys he healed there was 10 with leprosy he healed only one came back and said thank you what did the other nine do you know we don't know but if i can help that one out of the 10 you know i just feel like that's another that's part of my planting those seeds and using my talent that I was given, you know? Yeah. In fact, you just mentioned their talent. When people hear that, they may not understand what you're saying. He's not talking about his ability to play music. That's not the talent. He's referring to the parable. And what's funny is I have defined brother Ernie, my, my definition of success as maximize all that you are, all that you can do for a purpose greater than yourself. And you know where I got that definition from? Parable of the talents, because they were given something and he went off to a far country, depending upon which one you're reading, he gave one, five, one, two, one, one, and that kind of thing. Came back and wanted to shore up these accounts with these fellas. He left them to do business until I come. And the five guys said, hey, I got, I multiplied mine. Five more. And he said, good. You have rulership over 10 cities. You know, second guy said, hey, I took my two. I doubled it. He says, great, great. And the third guy, as you know, came up and Mm -hmm. said to his master, he said, master, I know that you are a hard and austere. And for y'all who don't know your dictionary, austere (laughs) means severe. You are a hard and severe man taking up where you don't lay down, reaping where you don't sow. Therefore, I buried the talent and I dug it up and give you back what you gave me. We'll call it even. You hadn't lost anything. And the master said, you wicked and lazy servant, you are right. I am a hard and austere man. You are right. I reap where I don't sow. I take up where I don't lay down. Therefore, you should have at least put it in the bank where it could have gained interest. And so they took his talent and gave it to the guy who had five. And then that dude got sent off where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. Take all that you are, all that you have, all that you can do. And what's the greater purpose? Because it says the landowner, who he was, the master, went to receive a kingdom. He went to another country, to a foreign land to get this. So they were doing kingdom business. So the, they were supposed to increase their what they were given for the larger purpose of that kingdom. So again, multiply all that you are, maximize all that you can do for a purpose greater than yourself. That's the parable of the talents. That's the definition of success, man. I definitely uh, don't want to waste it. And like you were talking about earlier, you know, I was, I was like, man, I'm married. I got a good job. I'm helping people, raising my kids, you know, and, and I just kind of, I think that's probably where I got. These are things are great. These are worth putting your effort into, but I just felt like there was more I could do. And not that I want to go off and be famous or go out and make a million dollars. I just there was something more. And, Right. I think listening to you guys motivated me to 
all right, you know, if DJ says, don't waste my time, use your time <laughs> and make you a podcast, you know. I <laughs> mean, right. but that was true. And yeah. I just needed that push to do it. Yeah. And now God's opening up doors. What is it you call the apostolic mantle? That apostolic Mac always mantle, yeah. You know, as you go forward, God opens those doors. Like, you know, they told the Jews, you step into the Red Sea and I will part it. You know, it, it, yeah. he didn't do it prior to. They had to make that step forward and right. even dry ground to walk across. I see that yeah. happening all the time now. Doors are opening up. Isn't that great? Right. Yeah. Isn't that great? Uh, it's pretty amazing. Amazing. And, you know, it's funny because we use that phrase a lot. And obviously, it's a strange couple of words to put together. What does it even what does that say? What does that mean? Is it's just strange words, you know? And I remember explaining it to Mac initially. And I said, first, you got the mantle. I said, now, the mantle is not the mantle over your fireplace. The mantle is a, a garment that was given to you to hold an official position. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? The prophetic mantle was thrown on you. So I said, so when Elisha, the prophet, was going to depart, he took his servant, Elisha, who was the up and coming, and gave him the mantle. He turned mm-hmm. the, the mantle over to him, and then he gets caught up in the fiery chariot. And so the first thing then Elisha does is takes that mantle off his shoulder, uses it like a whip, and says, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And slams the water, and they part like the Red Sea. In his case, it's a little pond, parted (laughs) parted like the Red Sea. So in other words, it's a mantle that causes a way to be made open. I said, now it's apostolic in the sense that it's apostolos means messenger or sent ones. It's your commission to do this. So you're commissioned to go out and pursue this particular direction. And you'll find out as you do, the waters seem to part in front of you and things come together that wouldn't have come together. And people come into your life that wouldn't have necessarily come into your life. And someone else just can't pick up this thing and duplicate it. They're going to struggle. They're going to try and copy everything you're doing. I'm doing the same videos. I'm doing the same thing. Why am I not getting the same results as Mac and CJ are? You don't have the mantle, brother. The mantle's not on you, man. And it's like um, there's a great little discussion in there's a Dutch systematic theologian, Louis Burkhoff, back in the early 20th century. And he used to teach out at Calvin Seminary, I think. And anyway, he's has this one section in his, you know, systematic theologies are like dictionary size. They're massive books. Oh, yeah. And but he's talking about the calling, talking about being called to ministry. And he said, you know, here, here are some of the things you want to look for. He said, first of all, you want to look for, is there a genuine interest, you know, a genuine passion or desire to do this work? And number two, do you feel like you have the capacity, you know what I mean? The mentality, the the gifting, the enabling, the mind for it, you know? And number three, he said, which I love this line, he says, is providence clearly paving the way to the goal? You know what I mean? In other words, do you see the pavement unrolling before you the more you pursue this? doesn't mean there won't, there won't be obstacles, but there's far more indications that you're on the right road yeah. by pursuing this. And so to me, that's another way of looking at it. It's providence paving the way to the goal is the same thing as saying it's the apostolic mantle. I totally agree 100%, man. There's a story just last week. Our buddy, uh, Robbie Watson over in Scotland, uh-huh. he'll like to hear his name on this. But <laughs> anyway, we, but then let me say Robbie Watson. Robbie Watson, yeah. We're just getting to know each other, but we both, he made a comment on a, something on Facebook, one of the squad guys, and then I made a comment behind it and posted that the guy had, there's a picture of a guy on a huge wave, he riding this wave. And if you remember, I sent you that thing that I had in my daily devotion that day. Yeah, um, yeah. Anyway, I sent, I put that in there and Robbie's, hey, what book is that from? And so mm-hmm. I, I, I shared it, what the book it was from. And Robbie was like, oh, great. You know, so he ordered it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know this, but the gentleman who, 
wrote the book is from Scotland. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. How many people do you know? I don't know many philosophers that are from Scotland, or I don't know. He's the only one that I ever, right. you know what I'm talking about. Who? What's his name? I don't have a book with me, do I? My utmost for his highest. Oh, uh, oh Oswald, Oswald Chambers. Chambers. Yeah, so. Oswald Chambers is, is Scotland. I didn't know he was born in Scotland. So it, it, we just hit it off, you know, and talked about that. Hey, Robbie, that's something only God can work out is that we're in the squad at the same time. We, we make a comment on the same picture about, you know, I send something that you ask about this book and it ends up being a guy from Scotland who's the, the who wrote it. <laughs> to me, that was just like, hey, man, because he's seeking out God. He said he just prayed like the day before oh, wow. uh, about something. And uh, I was like, you know, man, I said, this is how God works things out sometimes. Just got to be open to it. And uh, make that step forward and these things open up, man. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's a shame that you have to tiptoe sometimes around these issues because people get so offended by the religious question, which still baffles me. You know, I mean, it's like you guys are swallowing gender confusion and God knows what else. (laughs) Like it's (laughs) nothing. Yeah. And for some, I'm actually talking to my kid one of my kids, my daughter last night, and we were talking about this very thing. And I said, and we, she and I have had this conversation before, but I said, you know, the only way you can explain this sort of resistance to God's existence is not because of any scientific reason. Come on, yeah. man. You're surrounded with miracles in the trillions. Explain to me an eagle's eye. Explain to me the beauty of a coral fish. Explain to me a volcano. Explain yeah. to me human life. Explain to me the brain. All this, all of, there's no, there, you don't have the calculations. So for you to say is, it's you, to be so emphatic and be so defensive about God's existence, it can't be for scientific reasons. Because if you were genuinely objective and scientific, you would say, yeah. you know what? You have a lot of great points. There is a tremendous amount of what appears to be design in the universe. And I'm going to really think about it. You don't act. Yeah. No, they get antagonistic about it. Yeah. Therefore, it ain't science, bro. It ain't science. You got an ax to grind because here to me, it's all it all comes down to this. The only way you can explain this size of atheism is for this is because it's the implications. If you admit God exists, that's it. That means you're going to you might have to change something. You know what accountability mean? there. And some accountability there. That's what you're afraid of. And I would respect you more if you just admitted it. I'd respect you more if you just said, hey, listen, CJ, it's that's compelling. It really is kind of weird how every time I watch National Geographic, they describe the great white shark as the perfectly designed eating machine. They can't escape the language of creation. This that this thing, which has evolved over billions of years, is perfectly designed (laughs) to do something. And if I told you that my Rolex watch is the end result of billions of years of mistakes or what have you've heard all these types of arguments before, you would at least say that's very compelling. And I'm going to think about that. But I got to be honest with you, CJ, if I just I don't want to be a Catholic or I don't want to be a Baptist or I don't I don't want to have to go to church or I don't want to have to give up my particular lifestyle. I'm quite happy. I feel like I was born gay or I feel like I was born to do something else. And and I feel like that's right. And if I give into this, that means some pretty radical changes in my life. So I really don't want to do that. If you don't mind, sir, (laughs) I'd be like. I respect that because you're being honest now. You're being honest. You realize the implications. But to tell me you're just going to go through all of these intellectual, philosophical, quasi scientific gymnastics to try and explain away everything that you see as suddenly coming out of absolutely nothing on a Tuesday at 3 (laughs) p.m. 4.5 billion years ago and created all of this. 
Come on, brother. Come yeah. on. You ain't, I ain't got that much faith. That's right. It takes a lot more faith than I believe, right? I do believe. Because yeah. the other day I was sitting outside and I was just, it was like a beautiful day outside and I was sitting there enjoying the sun. And I just thought about it and I was like, there's a big ball of fire, you know, hanging in the sky. Hanging in the sky. And we're revolving around it. You know, there's daytime and there's nighttime and there's, there's days and there's months and there's years and we get older and I just like, but there's a big ball of fire here and we're on the earth. And if we tilt one degree left or right, we either burn up or freeze to death. I mean, it's just absolutely perfect how it's, right. it's come on, man. I just can't, like you say, it takes more to not believe than to believe. And again, you know, I don't see where somebody like me or you, Ernie, are threats to society. You know what I mean? We're not going to hurt you. We're not going to bite you. We're not going to do anything. In fact, we're doing everything we can to reach out to help and not asking for anything in return. I'm not, I don't want, you don't have to believe the same as I. Now, if you sit down and talk to me offline, I don't care who you are. If you're in my airspace, <laughs> if you get in the ring and you put on gloves, I'm going to put on gloves too. And if it's about debating something, that's a full contact sport to me. I'll go there. I have no problem yeah. with that. If you want to talk about and ask me questions about what I believe, I'm going to tell you exactly what I believe. You know what I mean? But I'm not going to force things on you. You know, yeah. I'm not going to trick people. I'm not going to deceive people. But man, I think these are important questions. They're becoming more important. Used to be, this was matter of fact. This was every day. Used to be, you, we grew up where regular shows on TV were Davy and Goliath. You know what I mean? Where everybody knew who Bishop Fulton Sheen was. Everybody knew who Robert Schuler was. You'd have a prayer open this congressional meeting. In school, we were saluting the flag. We did Pledge of Allegiance. We sang Joy to the World, all the boys and girls. <laughs> we sang, you know, a lot of basic old hymn type songs in public school. It wasn't everybody freaking out about it. It's like Bill Maher said, I think he was on a Ben Shapiro show. And if you know who Bill yeah. Maher, I know you know who Bill Maher is, but if those listening, Bill Maher is typically has always been an outspoken, anti-religious, anti-conservative. You would have considered typically a far left guy. But now he's been so critical of woke and cancel culture and all of these things that he's on the Ben Shapiro show. And, but he said this. He said, listen, I haven't changed any of my beliefs, he said. I still believe the same things I did 20 years ago about being a Democrat, you know, what he prefers for policies and all of that. So he's still the same political position. He said, I didn't change. They did. They went crazy. And so now everybody's so butthurt and sensitive about anything that, oh, yeah, forget talking about the Bible. Heck, you use the wrong pronoun. You'll lose your business. Yeah. You'll lose your business. That's how crazy it is. So it's a strange time we live in. We talk about that a lot in the squad and, and what we need to do. But I really appreciate, brother, just the attitude you've taken and what you're doing on this podcast. But tell me real quick, CJ, what was it that brought you from? Because I listened to the other podcast um, with the gentleman from Australia, the Damien. You know, you talked about before you were like a DJ at a strip club. Yeah. And then you you were turned on to Christianity by somebody on the street, I think. Or whatever. But what was it that they said or what was it? That change your point of view, if you don't mind telling me real quick. Well, I don't remember what they said. I'm sure they just were preaching sure. this, the, the gospel. But the thing was, I was I went, gone to L.A. In, in August of 1986. My friend who also lived in Texas at the time, he moved out there. So we're going to move there because that's where all the bands were getting signed, you know. Yeah. And so I was a Toppins Bar DJ and I took some time off a week to go out there to visit him. So he lived right off the Sunset Strip. And this is 86. So this is the peak of heyday. 
Those streets uh, were crowded every night with kids with long hair and spiked hair and all this sort of stuff. So I think we were hanging outside of Gazari's, a, a famous rock club out there called Gazari's. And uh, just again, tons of people around. And I noticed a bunch of people like real like arguing, not super loud, but I could tell it was intense discussion. And I'd been drinking. And so I just kind of got fascinated by it But because it was a bunch of long haired guys. And then as I got yeah. closer to hear what they were talking about, I heard them talking about Jesus and things like that. And, I, and one of the guys had a Bible in his hand, but his hair was longer than mine was. And he had and I had long hair. His was completely yeah. down to his waist and leather jacket. He's a Hispanic guy. I think his name was also CJ, by the way. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was weird. And so they were rock and roll guys. They were heavy metal guys. They were out there just preaching. They were from a group called Sanctuary, uh, which is Pastor Bob Beeman. I think he's been around forever, but he was real big influence on the Striper guys and all of that. So he was the first guy to really bring because he had long hair and bring that into that yeah. community. And so they were they started talking to me because they saw I was interested and we kind of went back and forth. And I know I kind of gave them all my arguments, you know, and I, I guess they shot all, all of them down. And what I remember is I didn't have a great time for the rest of my trip there. And this happened early on. I couldn't really figure out what it was. I was just kind of, I don't know, something didn't feel right. Everything was LA, Hollywood. So everything, you know, every newsstand, we had just like blatant, not like porn behind the paper bag. It was just like blatant in your face, gay, everything. You know what I mean? It was just, I was like, wow, they're free out here, man. And it was just, I don't know, it's something about it. I just felt, ugh, you know, and so yeah. I went back and I was supposed to move back by the end of the year. So again, this was August. So by about October, Man, I just wasn't feeling that great. And um, so I went and went to a, a, a local Christian bookstore and went and said, um, can I get a Bible? And I came in there looking like I looked. Yeah, yeah. I know they were like, what in the world is this just walk in here? And I said, I need a Bible. And they were like, what kind? Which what version? And I was just like, I, version? Isn't there only one Bible? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Now, what they have different, you know, translations. They were showing me all these things. So I didn't know. I just picked the one that was the smallest and the most discreet. You know what I mean? I didn't want to walk because I was still working at the topless bar. I'm not going to walk in with a big Bible. So I've got the smallest one I could. It just happened to be a new American standard. And uh, so I took it in there and I have it in my DJ booth at night. And I take one of the little lamps over my turntables. And, you know, as songs were playing, I turn the lamp over next to it. And I'd have that Bible. They're trying to figure out you know, where things were. Yeah. I'll tell you who was a huge, huge impact to me was Striper because they, uh, somebody had given me their first album, I think in like 1985, I think it was at a party and I'd listened to it and I thought it was cool. I thought, okay, this is a Christian thing. I didn't bother me. I wasn't against anything. I, I was just, I, I dig everybody, man, whatever. Yeah. This is metal, you know, it's cool. Although the album cover was cool and the riffs were great. But then once I was in this different period, about a year or so later, I was now I started to think back on their lyrics. So what helped me, I couldn't figure out, remember what the guy in the street in L.A. told me. I didn't have any other resources, but this book that I didn't know, you know, Matthew from Chronicles. So the lyrics of Striper songs were really helpful. You know, that's how I learned the one of the first things I learned was Jesus was the rock. You know what I mean? That's how I learned. I learned it from Striper. You know what I mean? And, and I thought it was cool because it came up with the album Soldiers Under Command. And they talk about the, you know, the darkness and Satan. Because I knew I got the Satan thing I knew. Shout at the devil and all of that. I, I, I knew the devil thing I knew, but I didn't quite know the opposite. And so they're out. They would talk about angels and they would talk about giving it all to God and being broken and being forgiven. And, you know, so all the the major things 
themes, the cross, the blood yeah. sacrifice, God was great and the devil was nothing. All of these themes is what really was my, that was my initial theology books that I was reading. It was the yeah. lyrics from Striper songs. And that helped me find things. And so then one night, Monday night, November 17th, 1986, in my apartment, I was supposed to work that night at the bar. And my brother uh, who lived with me in an apartment uh, was a bartender at Club Dallas off Northwest Highway. And uh, I just didn't feel it, man. I just wasn't feeling it. And so I said, you know what? This is stupid. So I called in sick and I said, this is stupid. What am I doing? So I got all my duds on, man. And got all dressed up. Got a wad of money because everything was tips. You know what I mean? So I just yeah. wad of money, put it in my pocket. I'm going to go just, you know, one of the one of the other bars, other topless bars. You knew everybody knew each other, all the managers yeah. and DJs. So I can just go any place. I'll just go and talk to some other people and hang out at another bar. And I can't be sitting around thinking about this stuff. And so I was. it was the sun was still out. And the next thing I know... I must have been just standing against the wall, sitting on the floor, kind of banging my head gently against the wall. And it's dark. So it took long enough. You know, the time about the sun's going down at it's November. So, yeah. you know, it's about I might have been about six or five thirty or six or so. It's Texas. So must have been about 30 to 45 minutes. I must have been sitting there just kind of lost in thought that I didn't even notice that the sun had gone down. And I said, what in the world is happening to me? This is, dude, get control of yourself. And I'm, a, again, I'm the same guy back then as I am today. Just super motivated and black and white and all that kind of hard charging. And I just said, what in the world is happening to me? I don't understand this. And couldn't stop thinking about it. And so I just, I said, I'm done with this. I'm not going to, I'm not going to think about this anymore. So that was, uh, so I prayed, I said, all right, if you're real, you got me. I'll do whatever I need to do. You, I'll give everything to you. But if not, then to hell with this. I can't be yeah. stalled like this. I got yeah. plans to move to L.A. I got things to do. I'm not going to be interrupted by something like this because I can't figure out this religion thing. And bro, it was like, you know, people talk about you know, your life kind of flashing before your mind yeah. kind of thing. I just kind of remembered a lot of things about my life. and But it felt, again, heavy dirty. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a good feeling, but yeah. like people have described it before, it felt like two big arms just came and lifted that heaviness off of me. And the only way I can describe it is like someone took a Sam's wholesale size of Johnson and Johnson baby powder, stuck it in the microwave, heated it up, took the top off and just poured that warm powder on the inside of me, just waves and waves. And man, bro, the tears, there's nothing for me to cry about. It just tears and I couldn't stop them. And I knew tangible something had physically, tangibly, emotionally happened in that room. And for the whole night, I'd kept just sitting on the side of my bed and praying because the first time I did it, I just said, just, wow, I just don't know what that was. And I don't know what to feel. And as soon as I would start talking to God, that feeling would come again. Vroom, uh -huh. vroom, vroom. So that kept me wanting to keep coming back. I, kept, I thought it was like where I was sitting. So I keep coming back to the, <laughs> to, to the side of my waterbed <laughs> yeah. and sitting there. And it would, that feeling would keep coming wave and wave. And so it happened, I don't know, you know, probably half a dozen times. It kept, making me want to come back and get rewarded, you know, so yeah. I, but I didn't know how to pray. So I was just talking stuff. I was just saying, I kept repeating the same thing. I don't know what's happened here tonight. I don't know, but this is amazing. And I just want you to know this is wonderful. And I believe you're real. And that's all I was saying. And every time yeah. I did is just pouring and pouring this wave of this glory of God. And I knew now by this, the next day that was gone, but it was enough. 
it was enough. And so I had to muster up the courage to call my boss, who was the manager at the top of his bar, dude, Jimmy, just a tremendous guy. I loved working for him and he was so good to me and the dancers, the girls. It's a tough business and you're up late all the time and people are drunk and fawning all over your girls and you get fights and all that kind of stuff. But man, we were tight. We were a community and he leaned on his DJ. I was responsible for 85% of that bar business oh, because yeah. of the music I played and the tempo I kept and how I arranged the girls and how I did the yeah. light show and how I did my yes, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main stage. Or, you know, all that <laughs> stuff. I had to call him. No two weeks notice, man. I knew I couldn't go back. And I said, I, I can't do it. And he said, what's going on? And I tried to explain, but he was just, he loved me. And so he says, man, I understand you got to do what's good for you. And, and I wish you all the best. And you always have a home here. And if you ever want to come back and I never went back, I never thought about it. Yeah. So the next thing I did was I didn't know what to do, brother, because now I'm out of a job. So there was a local Irving, Texas, in you know, the Dallas Fort Worth community, local Christian television station and run by the sweet old Baptist guy. And he'd host his one little show and he had a few people on. It wasn't high dollar. You know, it wasn't TBN. And, but he always had that phone number on the bottom of the screen. So I thought if he keep, he'd make a gospel appeal. And he said, if you want to give your heart to Jesus. And I thought, I didn't interpret. I didn't know what happened to me. Yeah. But I'd say, okay, well, I'll call. Maybe they'll help me. And so I talked to this lady on the phone and she's, and I told her what happened. And she said, well, let's just be sure. And so she led me in the sinner's prayer <laughs> just to be yeah. sure. And I was like, what now? What now? And she said, go to church and do this. And I said, all right, where do I go? And she said, uh, do you have any background? Do you have any family that's going? I said, no. And she said, well, you can come to my church. And I said, that's fine. And she said, I said, where is it at? She goes, Northside Baptist Church in Irving, Texas. Turned out to be a spirit-filled Baptist church. So uh, that was back during time with, because we used to have back in when I started going to church, James Robinson used to come preach at our church all the time, you know, because there was a whole part, Jack Taylor, Jack Deere, James yeah. Robinson, a lot of those Baptist guys in the early 80s got hit by the charismatic thing, but they were all mm -hmm. Baptists. So they were keeping within that Baptist ecclesiology. So they weren't, they weren't going, they weren't becoming a bunch of word of faith guys necessarily. They stayed in that elder and pastor yeah. you know, format. And um, so I went to that church and again, knowing again, I got long blonde hair about down to my waist, big as a lion's mane. And I don't have any just church clothes. It's all <laughs> rock and roll regalia. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I thought I'm going, I told her I was going to go. She's going to meet me. And so I went there early Sunday morning. I got there early because my plan was I'll sit in the back. You know what I mean? Baptist. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. I'm going to sit in the back and, you know, maybe talk to the pastor afterwards. Cause the lady told me, cause she said, well, you need to get baptized in water and you need to get laid on. He laid hands on to get filled with the Holy ghost. So I went thinking I'll be sitting in the back. And so I, I walked up to the, got there early. So I'm walking in the church. There's nobody in the vestibule. It's a good sized church. And this brother comes walking out, gray haired gentleman. Now, if I was describing him now, he's like, this is the guy who, who drives the bus for the church. You know, yeah. that guy it turned out to be one of the elders of the church, pot belly, tall, gray hair, comb back. And brother Benny Bell. <laughs> and he was just like, well, hey, good morning to you, brother. And I said, good morning, sir. How are you? Uh, he goes, just, this got to be your first time in this church. I said, you're right. It is my first time. And so he came up to me and he just, I didn't know what people were going to, because this is the 80s, brother. They hated yeah. us. You go and we didn't go to Fort Worth because you get too close to the stockyards down there. The ropers will kick your butt for having long hair. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was not, not what it is today. So 
going into a church. My goodness. So they think Satan just walked in, but he was just so excited. And he said, well, listen, let me get you situated. So he sat me front row center. (laughs) (laughs) He sent me front row center, met the pastor and the pastor introduced me to the congregation. Now, at this time, get this now, the girl I'd been dating was a topless dancer and we were broken up at the time. Now, she grew up in church. And when I left things, her dad used to be an elder. She, all her sisters were all dancers, but she knew enough. She grew up in church. She knew enough to leave me alone. He's going to go after God, then let him go. She ain't coming with me, but let him go. But she's a dancer. She's still out there dancing in the bars. Turns out, her one day backtrack one day I was living with her in a bar living with her in an apartment right behind the one bar that I was DJing at. She was dancing at. We lived together one day. She had gone and I, it was like one o'clock in the afternoon, but of course I've been sleeping because I work all night yeah. and open the door and it's her mother. And her mother is as faithful church going woman, praying woman as you'd ever meet in your life. No compromise in her sister, Judy, no compromise in Sister Judy. And she opens the door to check on her daughter. And here's some scraggly, long-haired guy answering the door. So I met her mother. So fast forward months later, and here I am at Northside Baptist Church. And I'm with the service ended, the pastor said, oh, I'm going to go shake hands with everybody as they leave. I want you to come with me. And so I met every single person in the congregation. (laughs) So everybody came out. So it's me and the pastor standing at the door, shaking everybody's hand. And guess who comes up to me, who goes to that church? My ex-girlfriend's mother, the woman who found me in her daughter's apartment. She's just tears, man, tears. So I was, I was hungry. And so I was, everybody wanted to talk to me too. So everybody was just sharing verses and things. And so I had the church bulletin and I'm writing down everything I could in the Bible on my hand, on the bulletin, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just because I was a sponge. I wanted to know what everybody said. And so this one couple who had a young, who had a daughter, it was rockish kind of girl, but she was a uh, no doubt a Christian girl, but she was kind of interested, <laughs> you know, but so she stuck around. But I didn't care about any of that. You know what I mean? But they were so nice. So it was that this couple and their daughter, they sat and talked to me. And finally, they said, listen, the, I, I, did, I introduced myself by my real name, Chris, not CJ. So they said, listen, Chris, we got to go. It's about three o'clock in the afternoon by now. Yeah. And I'd warn every, everybody left. I talked to everybody. And that's the last people that were talking to me. And they said, listen, we got to go. But we just want you to know how wonderful it was to meet you. And please come back. And I said, oh, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. So they're at the door, the front of the church. And they said, well, where are you parked? I said, I'm parked in the back. And they said, well, you know, you can walk through the church because they were parked right out front. I said, you, they said, you can just walk through the church and there's a back door out by where the organ is. And you just go out that door and it'll automatically lock. And I said, okay, well, so how do I lock this door? They said, when we walk out, you just shut the door behind us and then lift this thing up and it'll be locked. And then just push on it to make sure. So they said, okay, bye. They went out, boom, and I shut it. And I just suddenly realized I'm the only person standing in that church. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So much for hiding, you know, on that Sunday morning. And I left and came back that night because they were having baptismal service that night. Came back that night and got baptized and got in a home fellowship type group and still friends with all those people on Facebook and, and the pastor's son and so many people. You know, it's really weird, Ernie, too, when I'll post something and I'll look at all the people who like it. And it's everybody from 
this unknown Delta Force operator to a kid from a kindergarten class to the pastor, one pastor's wife of one church I was at to my seventh grade English teacher to somebody I worked with 20 years ago to somebody I went to school with over here. You know, just this, what a, that's new in the human experience. I know social media is crazy, but what a amazing thing to be connected to all of these different people. So it's funny because some people, you'll see them on my post sometimes. Some people say, oh, that's awesome, Chris, because they're from uh, my church days and they they know me from that. And other people say CJ and other people just say brother. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) But anyway, that's that's how I came in, man. That's cool, man. That's so cool. I appreciate it. I'm glad that those people were opening to you. That's a problem we have in church today is that people just aren't as welcoming to people when they come in. And I think people have received that kind of love, man. It's hard not to like the people or like the church or see how what God wants to give you wants to show you love. And if the people aren't doing it, if we're not hands and feet and showing the love to people, they're not going to draw anybody in. So I'm glad you yeah, had that experience. I, yeah. When I think of the people who were the integral people who were used to get me, the most important people, it was Striper. It was the guys on the street in L.A. It was that lady who answered the phone, you know, on that. TV show, and it was Brother Benny Bell and Pastor Henry Malone. And then the man then who took me under his wing during those years and became my mentor, my man who discipled me, Clint Anderson, tremendous man of God, tremendous, just a lay person, a salesman. But I'm talking about a man of prayer, a man who hears the voice of God, a man who walks circumspectly, a man who loves the Bible passionate and has moved his family strictly and left jobs and things strictly for what he felt was where he was being directed for the next season of his life. And I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him and getting a little tender about that one. Hmm. He's special because I would go to his house and I would just stare at his bookshelf. It wasn't big, just Mm -hmm. a single thing, but it had all these interesting titles and he would just lend me books and I would just he was my library and he would just, we'd read books together. And boy, I just, I was so hungry. He was the one who who walked me through my first helping him in a deliverance session. And brother, it was deliverance. (laughs) Hmm. We saw the demonic up close and personal, but he operated in the authority of the name. He silenced things. I saw him do it with power. And I'm just thankful that I got around people who, knew what to do with a hungry soul. And later on, there's yeah. a TV preacher that I got. I got my degrees in art and things to be able mm-hmm. to, that's where I get my marketing background and whatnot. So I was helping out a, a TV minister who would be labeled a prosperity preacher. And he was doing all that, give money and God will give back kind of stuff. But I've seen him give more money than anybody. So he mm-hmm. practiced what he preached, whether that's you, somebody believes in that or not, I don't care. He practiced yeah. what he preached. Yeah. And I, he did some crazy stuff that I was like, do that. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> but he was a man of great prayer. And he used to tell me, because he was a mentor to me, about how a ministry operates and what it takes to achieve massive goals. Because I would design book covers for him. He has like over 200 something books he's written. And he would have me design a book that wasn't even written yet. And I, so I'd get the cover all together and I'd give it to him yeah. and he would take it the color printout and he cut it up and he'd glue it to another book about the size of what he wanted that book to be. And he would carry it with him everywhere. He'd sleep with it. If he'd go to the bank to talk to the banker, he would sit there holding that book because that was the next book he was writing. So I designed the book just so he could visualize it. 
And he used to tell me, because he was big on mentorship, and he would always tell me, he said, Chris, I qualify my protégés by their pursuit. That's how I qualify. And he mm-hmm. goes, that's why you live and operate so close to me. It's because you're hungry. He said, it's because you're hungry. Don't you ever lose that hunger. And I really never haven't. And, um, you know, I, 15 years ago, Ernie, I couldn't imagine being the metal motivator. Honestly, if somebody would have been the metal motivator, I'd have beat the hell out of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? And granted, getting me to the position to be the metal motivator took some disappointment in church, took some hurt. It yeah. took some because I, I gave a lot and was taken advantage of, made promises to because all I wanted was to be in ministry. That's all I ever wanted, brother. All I, I mean, I drove my family crazy, praying, fasting at the church every time it's open. Last first one there, last one to leave. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, was an elder in the church, started churches. But I believed that you were supposed to be raised up. I believe you're supposed to be sent, not just get up and went. So I believed in the apostolic. I believed that you had to have spiritual covering and that you helped build another. And then that sets you up as faithful to be launched into your own. But everybody would always want me to help them build their kingdom. And they never really returned the favor. And I remember 2010, I started Metal Motivation officially in Halloween of 2009. And I was getting a lot of flack from believers who knew me and respected me. And they were like, they couldn't figure this out. What are you doing? The hell are you doing? And they just thought I'd sold my soul. And I remember just kind of because I really felt strong about metal motivation. And um, it was as March of 2010, I was sitting at my desk just like this. And I was grumbling to God, just saying, what is, what am I, am I doing the wrong thing? Is it, explain this to me. I don't, because I, I don't know what to do because I'm torn between. And I was thinking about what I had done, why I was kind of out on my own because of the disappointment I mentioned to you. Because yeah. when I was in Texas, I'd be, after the Northside Baptist, I became a part of a church. It was called Faith World at the time, became Covenant Church. Great pastor there in whatever big church. It became a big church. And, but I gave eight years of my life to that church, eight years to the day. And they wouldn't do it. They took me on staff, but he would never send me out. And um, I just said, you know what? I'm gone. And I went to New York to start a church. And I swore to myself, I'll never do that again. I remember saying out loud and saying to my wife, I will never devote eight years of my life to building another man's kingdom. So I went to New York in 95 for about two, two years or so. And it was a very dark time for me and my wife. And try to start a church there. It was hard territory, brother. It's just hard New York, bro. <laughs> very resistant. And we were at a very low period. We had just lost a child. And um, my the guy who was the associate pastor from the church in Dallas that we were at, he went, came out to Raleigh, North Carolina to start a church. So he'd been there about a year. They were getting things together. And he was still on salary. The church down there was paying his salary until he got stuff situated. See, that's what I thought they were going to do for me. They didn't. They did it for him. But he was some of our dearest friends, him and his wife. So he was wanting to get his marketing materials together for the church launch. So he knows a marketing guy, me. So he flew up to stay with us for a few days. And so we'd been in God forsaken land for two years or so. And he was a breath of fresh air. And so we started after a couple of days, started to joke with him to say, oh, wouldn't it be great if we came down there and helped you out? And suddenly that became a serious conversation. And he said, you have a home with me. And so he was kept the conversation going as he went back and he would start sending us real estate guides and all these sorts of things. So we're looking at the beautiful area of North Carolina and the homes. We're yeah. like, that looks pretty good. You know what I mean? Four seasons and Southern culture. 
what's not to like? And so we decided to to move and we moved in 97 and to come down here and help him with that church. And it was great initially, but same thing happened again. And I officially left the church in March of 2005, 1997 to 2005, eight years. I did it twice. I swore I wouldn't do it. And I did it twice. So March, 2010, I'd started Metal Motivation. People are challenging me on the decision and I'm scrumbling to God sitting there at my desk. And I'm like, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I did the eight years at Covenant Church in Dallas. And I did eight years at Celebration Church here in Raleigh, North Carolina. What do I get for this? Instantly, my mind flashed in my mind, the story of Jacob and Laban. And so I went to grandma, I went quick, you know, into Genesis to read the story. And, you know, for those who don't know, just real quick, Jacob was working for this guy, Laban, and Jacob wanted to marry his daughter, Rachel. And so Laban said, all right, you want to marry my daughter, uh, Rachel? Work for me for seven years. And when you finish that seven years of running my property, you can marry my daughter, Rachel. So he does it, works for seven years. And Laban gives him Leah. He gives him his other daughter who he wasn't interested in. He says, I didn't ask for Leah. And he says, well, you're getting Leah. I want Rachel. You want Rachel? Yeah, she's the oldest. She's got to go first. So we got to fulfill the law. So he says, what I got to do now? He says, well, work for me for another seven years and you'll get Rachel. So he does it for another seven years and he gets Rachel finally. And then it's like, okay, enough of this business with Laban. So Laban says, okay, you got my daughters. All right. So I'm not going to just send you out of here empty handed. You did what I asked you to do. Two seven year stints. And he said, what do you want? And so Jacob looked out over his herds and he looked out over the spotted and the speckled ones who nobody wanted. They weren't going to breed the spotted and the speckled ones. He says, Mm -hmm. the spotted and the speckled ones. And Laban says, okay, these shall be thy wages. And that line literally jumped right off that page. And it went just, it was as clear as a bell, Ernie. It was, what do you get, Chris, for two eight-year stints? You see all these spotted and speckled undesirables out there Mm -hmm. come from the same place you did? These shall be thy wages. And I never look back. Amen, man. That's awesome. (laughs) And that was my permission slip to go be the metal. Now, have I been righteous? No. Have I failed? Yes. Have I been the light to the world? Absolutely not. Uh, and I'm not going to pretend I am, but his grace is sufficient. His strength is made perfect in my weakness and I got plenty of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm not, yeah. but I'm not espousing myself to be anything. And I don't go around telling these stories to people outside of somebody like you who knows, you know, there's nothing I've said to you that you're not familiar with. You could finish the Bible stories I mentioned. <laughs> you yeah. could finish the verses I quoted, you know, the doctrines and all of this sort of stuff. And so that's why, you know, I feel at liberty to share it all. But it's it is not, brother, the path that I thought. And hey, any given day, he could yank me out and throw me somewhere else. You know what I mean? And say, all right, enough of this. I reserve the right. You know, he's he's capital G.O.D. God He's altogether. God altogether. I'm not right. So isn't that the first lesson in theology? But you want strong doctrine, strong theology. He's God. You're not. Don't ever get that confused. And but for now, I, you know, there's sometimes, Brother Ernie, where I feel like, all right, I, I've done the metal motivation thing. It almost feels like a case study in marketing and branding, you know, that if somebody, yeah. hey, somebody, you want somebody else wants to take the role, take the seat. I'll help you. Give me a cut of what you do with the business or whatever. If I never do another metal motivation thing again, I honestly don't care. I'll be honest with you, Ernie. I don't I never have. I don't sit up at night carrying the souls of a metal motivation audience on my heart. <laughs> you know, I just don't. That's what I think, you know, I'm I'm more 
prophet than I am pastor. You know what I mean? I'd sure. rather get away, have my time to think and meditate and then come out with both guns blazing. You know what I mean? <laughs> All about the message, but I'm not here to, I'm not here to stick around and build a church now. You know what I mean? I'm not going to build anything around me. Take the principles you got. I, I That's what I do. I take principles. I study. I, I see what fits for me and I go do it. You yeah. go do it. You don't need me to hold your damn hand. You know what I mean? <laughs> I had one guy yeah. who's, who just recently wrote on a post and he was like, help me, please help me. And now somebody with the pastor's heart is going to say, message me. I'm here for you. I said, with what? And he didn't answer. Then he wrote it again on another post. And I just wrote, what's the problem? Because people are like, help, help. That's come on, man. You're on a technological device communicating in this international web, which means you got electricity, food in the refrigerator, probably a car and a day job, and probably all four limbs work. You can see with your eyes, smell with your nose, taste with your tongue, and hear with your ears. Ain't no way you're in dire straits, bro. No way. I'm not playing that game. Don't come at me with emotion. I will slap it down. (laughs) But that's where it's the Samuel in me. What is this bleeding of sheep I hear? You know what I mean? And go and find out you haven't killed you didn't kill the king. You took spoil. And what does he do? He takes a sword and hacks him to death. You know what I mean? The justice of God. <laughs> I resonate more with that <laughs> sometimes than gentle Jesus, meek and mild, walking through the field with the sheep in his hand <laughs> and little little eyeliner on. Yeah. And I know and you feel that, but. I do. I do. And I think a lot of men, they don't hear those stories. They hear mm-hmm. the meek and mild. And even Jesus, you know, it doesn't take, it takes more than a weak man to do what Jesus did. You mm-hmm. just don't walk into a place knowing they're going to kill you to be yeah. meek and mild. So you got, you know, all this that you've gone through and what's culminated this, I feel like we have a friendship that started and who knows what will come of this. You've helped me and you've produced fruit in me. And I hope that I'm going to go out and produce fruit, you know, and it's, that's going to be the, uh, the fruit that you'll have, you know, oh, yeah. the message you'll have later on, yeah. you know what I mean? It's yeah. that compound yeah. interest that you get, you know? Oh, yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'll tell you what, man, just my closing thoughts be about you. I remember how much you struck me when I first met you there at the clubhouse for the meetup. And it's what Max says. He'll say it every now and again about somebody we talk to. And Max says, that dude has instant likability. <laughs> and he said that about you. And I said, yeah, that is the immediate thing I caught. He was, Ernie was immediately disarming. It was nothing awkward about him. He was just, it was right there. And you were just like, I love this guy. I like this. <laughs> and Maybe. so later on, I was t- talking to, to Mac and Rebecca at the pub at, during the meetup. But it was just the three of us aside for a little bit. No squad members were coming over to us. And Matt goes, do uh, you know the the Ernie guy, Ernie Harrison? And I said, yeah. But the way he said it, because Rebecca was right there and she was saying, yeah, Ernie. And I was like, I was ready to hear, oh, shoot, something happened. Uh, You know what I mean? That, okay, he's weird or whatever. And he goes, (laughs) bro. And he showed me what you gave him. And he talked about what you put on your motorcycle. And Rebecca started tearing up. And Mac was just so thankful. And I was so relieved because I thought he was going to say Ernie was yeah, this yeah. weird cat. You know yeah. what I mean? But Mac was like, he, but he wanted, that's the only, that's the, he, it's, he wanted me to know that if I yeah. had met you, because what you had done for them just meant so much to the both of them. And literally bringing Rebecca to tears. You've been a blessing, bro. I appreciate it, man. You guys are blessing to me. So I wanted to give something back. And that's just what was on my heart. I go with it when I feel those things. That's what I think. Maybe people are too afraid, man, and don't do it, you know, but I'm like, yeah. you know, 
I live every day. That's my last. If it's my last time I'm going to see you, I don't care. I'm going to tell you I love you. You know, I don't, <laughs> don't care who you are, a guy, girl. Hey, I love you. You know, yeah, I'm yeah. here for you if you need something. So, yeah, but yeah I appreciate you telling me that because I, I was hoping that it would mean a lot to them. I, I knew it would mean a lot to me if that had happened to me. So I just want to do something in that aspect. No, so. it, it just that Rebecca's uh, quiet. She's yeah. not. She's a bold person. She's she ain't afraid of nobody, bro. So it's not like yeah. she's shy or anything. Yeah, but she's quiet. You know what I mean? She's smart. She's yeah. wise. She's mature. And she's just not going to spill her beans about things. Yeah. And for those who don't know, you had a bunch of comrades names yeah. and stuff who had lost uh, their lives in, in the GWAT. And you added her brother's name. Correct. Yeah. It is. Uh, to it. And which obviously you didn't know him, but no. you just. Not being asked. It wasn't like something we talked about all the time in the squad or anything like that. So you had to be very thoughtful, very intentional. And uh, so for her, brother. Well, you know, everywhere I go, I always try and find the least of these to say thank you to, because most of the time they're doing the hardest work for the least pay, but it makes the most difference. The lady who's at the hospital, who's cleaning the rooms, who's taking out the trash, those people who do the most work a lot of times are at least appreciated. And I, yeah. I knew that, you know, Mac always spoke highly of her. It changed his life. And you know, that he said, I found my person. I know mm-hmm. she was special to Mac. And I know that when you're when you're special to someone, but they're getting all the attention, they, you know, I mean, sometimes they get neglected, which I'm sure she doesn't care about any fame or attention or anything like that. No, but she wanted to know that somebody was looking, somebody recognized that what her sacrifice her family had made, they weren't neglected. Because he went down the path that I was going to go down. I went to go, I went had a ranger contract. I was going to be a ranger and, you know, even though my story it just didn't work out for me, but it wasn't God's plan for me. And that was fine because I'd rather be where I am now. But he yeah. took my place. I look at her, her brother, kind of as Christ. He died in my place, right? No. I could have been there. You know, so I'm grateful for him and his sacrifice and what he gave. And I just wanted that to be recognized. But yeah, I'm glad it meant so much to him. Thank you for sharing awesome. that. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for listening to the Balanced Man Podcast. You can find us on the web at thebalancedmanpodcast.com and on Facebook at The Balanced Man Podcast. 